Hey, how are you? May not look like it, but my wife Mary and I and our baby Jesus are on a trip. The trip is not in the direction that we had planned. We were planning on being on a trip today, but not the direction we're going. It's kind of interesting how God can change all of that kind of thing. You know, I've learned a lot about God in the last 300 days since the angel appeared to me and said, take Mary as your wife. It's not the kind of things you learn in textbooks. It's the kind of things you learn in trouble, chaos, problems, and so on. I sort of thought that since my wife was going to give birth to the Son of God, I sort of thought that my life was going to be somewhat blessed, you know, somewhat special. Maybe a couple of angels directing traffic. Maybe God appearing every once in a while saying, how much money you need today? I would guess that in the last 300, 320 days, 99.9% of everything that has happened to us has been standard, regular, non-spectacular. Is that a little surprising? You would think that the Son of God on earth would generate special effects. So let me tell you a little bit about what's happened in the last 50 days. Let me talk about Bethlehem, and then let me talk about day 40, and let me talk about last night. Our trip down to Bethlehem was a slow trip. Uh, I walked, Mary rode the donkey. You know, we had to get a Avis, rent a donkey, to come down and... I walked, she would ride the donkey, then I would walk and she would walk, and then we would rest. When someone is almost nine months pregnant, you really can't make very fast time. And guess what? We had no angelic help. No limos, no high-speed transportation. A trip that normally takes about three days to come down from Nazareth to Bethlehem took us about a week. And I'm sure you remember what happened when we got there. It wasn't exactly the way you sang this morning. I heard you singing, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. It wasn't quiet, peaceful. It was frustration. We got there, and the people that were supposed that we thought had room for us had no room. So here I am. I am completely frustrated looking for a place to stay. I'm worried about the... the the protection and condition of my wife. I'm afraid that she's going into labor. I had sort of hoped that we would go to Bethlehem and get out of there and go back, you know, register, go back, and get to Nazareth before she went into labor. I'm frustrated over the fact that some dictator 500 miles away in Rome could command us that we have to go to our hometown at this time so we can pay more taxes. And then uh, she went into labor. 
You know, when she went into labor, I thought, oh, brother, who's going to deliver this baby? Am I going to have to be the mid-husband here to deliver this baby? And, you know, it was just sort of standard kind of stuff. So she went into labor. The, the innkeeper that we found, by God's blessing, gave us some supplies that she needed, and the innkeeper's wife helped in the delivery. But it was standard all the way. I mean, there were no angels helping me. There, were, there was nothing special that took place. Does that strike you as kind of odd? That God the Father's own Son would be born on earth without help. Unhelped by angels, unhelped by anyone. It sort of made you wonder whether he was special. I mean, I sort of wondered that. I had heard the, the message of the angel 300, 300 days earlier, and I wondered, is he really the Son of God? Of course, then came the shepherds. You should have seen the shepherds. These guys were so excited. They were so wild over the celebration of being able to celebrate the birth of the king. They talked, they laughed, they sang for hours. They couldn't get over this display of angels. You know, apparently angels, when they sing, are very loud. Angels, when they sing, apparently sing in unbelievable harmony. And angels are very bright. They said to look at them, you had to have sunglasses on. But they just rejoiced in everything that God had done for them. Which, which made me realize that God is here. That God is, is paying attention to what's happening. That God knows, even though everything looks standard. I sort of expected that angels would be there helping in the delivery. Not scaring shepherds out in the field. You know? But God had it set up a different way. He was here. He just didn't see fit to put angels in the delivery room. We decided that uh, we wouldn't say a whole lot about our baby. You know, I sort of thought that maybe after his birth... There would be angels that would show up along the way, or there would be angels that would introduce our baby to, to the neighbors. But the neighbors worried about the noise factor, you know. What are all those shepherds doing around your house last night? When we told, the, uh, when we told our neighbors that the baby was our Messiah, the Son of God, that didn't register, you know. They knew he'd been born in a stable and a not-so-special birth indicated to them a not-so-special baby. The fact that I was a carpenter from Nazareth didn't help. You know, carpenter from Nazareth. I think if I had been a rabbi, if 
uh, I'd been a Pharisee, if Jesus had been born in Jerusalem, um, in the temple, or some other kind of thing, that would have said a lot more. But a carpenter from Nazareth, um, being the father of the Son of God, no, you just sort of, you know, people just rolled their eyes. So after a while, we didn't say much. We didn't talk. And uh, we looked for angels, and there was nothing that happened. Uh, at eight days, we had him circumcised and named him Jesus, as the angel had instructed us. But it was a regular Jewish circumcision, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and you're out of there. And uh, for the next 31 days, it was sleepless nights, busy days, like every newborn, you know, taking care of our newborn and uh, nothing special. We decided to stay in Bethlehem until day 40. We were looking forward to day 40. Because the law required that on day 40, a mother of a newborn son would come and purify herself and dedicate her son. And then after that, we'd go back to Nazareth, be out of here. It was expensive to stay in Bethlehem. Food prices were high. But if we'd gone back, it probably would have been a week back and then a week coming down. I thought if I could come down by myself alone, it would be easier. But Mary had to appear in the temple. So we stayed. Looking for day 40. Day 40 came. It was yesterday. It was an amazing day. Day 40 is one of those kind of days that rocks your theological socks. Really does. Rocks, not rots. Rocks your theological socks. I couldn't wait to go up to Jerusalem to the temple. You ever seen Herod's temple? It is a fabulous place. Unbelievably huge. Herod's been working on it for more than 15 years, and it's still under construction. And it looks like it'll be under construction for the next 50 years. But it is a gigantic and a beautiful place. We went up according to the commandment of Leviticus chapter, Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus 12 says that a woman who, who bears a son is unclean for the first 40 days, which means she can't touch anything sacred. She can't go into a sanctuary until she's cleansed. And she needs to offer a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove or pigeon for a sin offering. And then we were looking forward to dedicating our son. Back in Exodus times, when the death angel came over Egypt and destroyed the firstborn of the Egyptian sons, he passed over the Israeli sons who had the blood on the doorposts. And after that, God said, now, every firstborn son belongs to me. I want you to consecrate him to me, and then I want you to buy him back, redeem him by paying five shekels of silver. Probably $25 in West Virginia money. So I was looking forward to this. We went up to the temple yesterday, early morning, went into that, that southern double door and up the steps to the, to the court of the Gentiles, which is this awesome place that stretches forever almost. 
And then we went up the steps and into the beautiful gate to the court of the women. And then we went up those 15 curved steps up to the patio before the gate of Nicanor. You ever heard of the gate of Nicanor? That is double doors that are probably twice as tall as this ceiling. And it takes, they say, it takes quite a few priests to open or close those doors. And the 15 steps up were the 15 steps that priests would sing. They would stop at each, so- each step and sing the Hallel Psalms. You know the Hallel Psalms? I don't see very many nods. You're not singing them every day, huh? They, uh, it's Psalm 120 through 134. So they'd stop on step one and they'd sing Psalm 120. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord and he answered me and so on. Next step, Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. Psalm 122, next step. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord and so on. All the way up, all 15 steps. So we, we went up those steps and got up to the, to the uh, landing up there before the gate. And guess what we came upon? A big line. A big line of people. The place was jammed with worshipers. We get up there and stand in line. After a while, a priest came. He took our offering, disappeared. Came back out 10, 15 minutes later, sprinkled Mary, pronounced her cleansed. And then uh, we dedicated our son with the payment of the shekels. And uh, the priest came out and he pronounced two blessings on Mary. Blessing because she had a son and blessing because the son was redeemed. You know what I was thinking about? That time when... The priest was talking in the middle of the noise. I was thinking about the offering that we gave. The offering that we gave. The normal offering is a lamb and a dove. But Leviticus 12, the last verse of Leviticus, Leviticus 12, 12, 8, says, If she cannot afford a lamb and makes provisions for poor people to offer two doves or two pigeons. And that's what we did. We offered two pigeons. A pigeon for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. And that just sort of rolled around in my mind. If she cannot afford. If she cannot afford. And I thought to myself, here I am presenting the Messiah of the nation of Israel, and I'm thinking, if she cannot afford, we're presenting him with the poor offering. You know, I wondered what would have happened if I had said to the priest, uh, Sir, <clears throat> we are presenting today the Son of God, and uh, we're presenting him with these two doves. I'm sure his response would have been, if he's the son of God, how come he can't afford the normal offering? Why would we be presenting God's son 
with a poor offering. Would you want that to happen to your son? Would you want your son to be dedicated with welfare money? I mean, why was there not some kind of special intervention? Why, why did the priest not say, this is a special child, let's give him special treatment? Why were there not angelic choirs singing the hallelujah chorus? Why were we just a number to the priest who didn't even recognize our son? It bothered me. Just the ordinariness of it all. The plainness of it all. So we turn to leave. We're going to get out of there and go back to Bethlehem and go back to Nazareth. We walk down the steps back through the court of women and a man comes up to us. A man comes up to us speaking loudly, talking loudly, and he does not recognize us. He recognizes our baby. He comes up and he picks up the baby and realizes and says, Lord, now I can depart in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. The light, a light for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. How did he know? We didn't have a sign on our son saying, Messiah here. There was no halo around his neck, head. Nobody else had recognized him. No priest had recognized him. Here's a man who recognized who our son was. And not only that, he recognized that he was the salvation of the world, which the angel had said to me. That he was the light of Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel, which he had said to Mary, which the angel had said to Mary. This man was Simeon. He had walked with God. And God had said to him, you're not going to die until you lay your eyes on Messiah. And so he'd come in that day full of the Spirit of God. And as soon as he saw Mary carrying our baby, he knew who that was. Can you imagine that? He knew who it was. And he was so excited as he picked up the baby and said, Lord, I can now die. I have seen your salvation. You know, it was like, it was like God saying to us, I know where you are. I know what's going on. I've got people around that know what's going on. You know? Simeon knew. Nobody else knew. Simeon knew. And then as he was praising God and blessing the baby, Anna came up. Anna was this beautiful old lady who I think was pushing 100 and was so excited. I mean, these two old people, old, wrinkled, bent-over people, look like they were 12-year-olds who had just found a million dollars, you know? the way they acted. And Anna was starting to preach many sermons to these people that were standing around in her excitement over what was going on. It was amazing. It was an amazing half hour, and I wish I had a video of that. Just, just to replay it, just to replay it was absolutely amazing. These people knew. It was sort of like God saying, you know, if you really want to know 
I can show you. If you really want to know, these people come out of the clear blue sky and they recognize that baby. So as we went home to Bethlehem, we were pumped. We were so excited. Couldn't stop talking about Simeon and Anna. What an amazing, an amazing meeting. Didn't take long to get to Bethlehem. Bethlehem probably was a two-hour walk. We got back about five o'clock. And as we're cleaning up, packing up, getting ready, eating a quick dinner, we were getting ready to leave the next day. And uh, we kept talking about Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna. It was almost like they were family, you know. It was almost like they were our brother and sister, even though they were 150 years older than we. Uh, Because they knew. They knew. And the contrast between what they knew and what everybody else missed was enormous. I mean, there were priests, there were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were important people who never recognized who our baby was. People brushed against our baby in the marketplace. It was like brushing against a tree limb, you know? Have you ever noticed how often that happens? People can go through life clueless, absolutely oblivious to the treasures that are right beside them. It was about 6.30 last night, quarter to seven, we heard noises outside. The noises got louder and louder and louder. There was a knock, a loud knock on the door. And uh, I opened the door a crack and I saw outside about a dozen or more strangers. Uh, I knew they weren't Jewish. I didn't know what they were. And, you know, we've got problems with terrorists and you've got to be careful. You can't open your door to anyone. And these guys looked a little scary, but it was their attitude. It was their attitude. It was striking. They said, is there a baby inside this house? I said, yes. And all of a sudden, they were so excited. And they said, can we come in and worship him? Worship him, I thought. Worship him? Sure. Come on in. So all these guys squeezed in. They were important-looking people. They squeezed into the house. They were so excited about being there, and the story they told was absolutely unbelievable. You would not believe the story. These guys had seen a star and had traveled for the last four-plus weeks on foot with camels because when they saw the star, they knew that the king of the Jews was born. That star indicated to them the king was born, and they were gone. And they traveled with a lot of people, a lot of money, and they figured that the king of the Jews would be born in the capital. So they went to the capital. They didn't follow a star. They, fought, they saw the star, and they, they went to the capital, Jerusalem. And they start asking people on the street, where is the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Well, people didn't have a clue. They couldn't believe that no one in Jerusalem knew where the king of the Jews was born. And the the process of these important-looking people asking this question upset the whole city. 
And apparently the king, Herod, heard about it, and he invited these wise men, Magi, to come to his palace. They said when they met with him, it was strange. He wasn't really that excited over it, and his only interest was, when did you see the star? And he said that he had information that Jerusalem was not the place, but Bethlehem was the place. So he said to them, you go find where he is, somewhere in Bethlehem. You go find where he is. When you find out, let me know, and I'll, I'll come worship. Well, he thought that was strange. Why don't you go and find out where he is? You know the place. Send some men out, find out where he is, and tell us. No, he wanted them to go find where, where king of the Jews had been born. King of the Jews. So, they left. And as soon as they got out of Herod's palace, there was the star again that they had seen in the east, in Babylon. The star was there, and they were so excited, they were high-fiving each other over the fact that the star was there again. And that star moved and led them to Bethlehem and led them right over the house. So last night, we had a star over our house. So they were completely excited over the privilege of finding the king of the Jews. They talked, we talked, we pulled out Jewish tea, they pulled out Babylonian tea, and we just had a great time. And then they said, we want to worship your baby. I don't know if you've ever seen a dozen or so grown men bow before a baby. But it was an unbelievable experience. Here, they, they, it's, like, it's like they're not bowing before a baby. It's like they're bowing before a king. They're bowing before the king of the universe. And they pray and they thank God. They give praises for him. They, they commit him to God. And they are so honored at the privilege of being in front of a 40-day-old baby. I just cried. I could not believe it. It was not only the way they prayed, but it was the gifts that they brought out. They brought out these gifts when they finished praying. They brought frankincense. Frankincense. What's a baby going to do with frankincense? Well, frankincense is an ingredient used when they mix up the perfume for worship. Frankincense is the smell of worship. And these magi are giving a gift that represents what's going to happen in the future when our son becomes the king of the universe and the world worships him. And they brought out myrrh. Myrrh is an ingredient used in mixing up the anointing oil for priests and for kings. And they brought out gold. Gold is a present you give to kings. These men really believed that our son was the king of the universe, and they had not only put time into it, they had put money into it. These are very expensive gifts, and they had carried them from Babylon. It was awesome. They told us about their faith talked about their faith. Where in the world did you get the idea that a star would somehow indicate king of the Jews had been born? 
And they talked about the fact that they had a magi, there was a magi 500 years before them, who knew the Lord and who wrote down in a book his story. His name was Daniel. And he had written down a prophecy in chapter 9 of his book where you could calculate the time. And they had calculated the time. And when they saw that star, they said, it is worth dropping everything. It is worth spending several months. It is worth investing half of our wealth to go worship a baby. (laughs) Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So we talked, and they talked, and we had such a great time. And it was, you know, they didn't want to leave, and we didn't want to leave. We didn't want them to leave, but they couldn't stay in our tiny place. So sometime after midnight, they left. Mary and I went to bed, tried to get some sleep. I don't think we were in bed for more than two hours when an angel woke me up and said, you got to get up. I said, sorry, I'm tired. It's been a rough day. The angel said, no, you got to go. you got to get up. you got to get out of here. Herod's uh, going to mount a search party. They're going to be here tomorrow. You have got to be out of here, and you're going to Egypt. Well, fortunately, by God's grace, we were packed and ready to go. So we were out of there by 5 this morning. And we have now walked about 13 miles. And uh, this is our lunch break. We're on our way to Egypt. We're down already to Beth Shemesh. <clears throat> Let me give you two things that I've learned in the last 300 days about how God has worked in my life, and I'm convinced he works in your life. Number one, God has successfully met every need that we've had. Every need that we have had. Every need that we have had. Think about this. If the, if, the, if the Magi had come on day 39, okay, day before yesterday, when we went up to the temple, we would have gold in our pockets and we would have been able to order the standard offering. We would not have had to present, present our son and purify my wife with a poor offering. Why didn't they come on day 39? Why didn't God meet our needs on day 39 when I thought he ought to meet our needs? Because God thought our needs should be met on day 40. You see, the fact that his son was dedicated with a poor offering did not bother God. It bothered me, but it didn't bother God. Have you ever noticed that? I find that I need to learn that. I need to learn that if I don't have something, it's because of the fact that I don't need it. And God knows when I need it, and he knows what I need. And I need to rejoice in the fact that I can trust him. On the other hand, if the angel had said, you guys need to go to Egypt before the Magi came, we would have been broke. We wouldn't have been able to go. But now we're on our way to Egypt, and I have gold and frankincense and myrrh, which can be fairly easily converted into money in Egypt. You ever heard a carpenter say that? I'm pretty well off. Because God is the one who times all of that. 
Are you content with what God has given you? Every one of you should be completely content with what God has given you. You should be rejoicing with loud voices over what you have. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you don't have. You should be rejoicing with loud voices over what God has given you. He has completely supplied every one of your needs. I'll take an amen. Amen. Boy, that was weak. (laughs) Second thing I learned was that, that God has successfully led us through impossible difficulties. God has successfully led us through impossible difficulties. When the angel asked me to marry this pregnant girl in Nazareth, I wasn't that excited. I had planned on divorcing her. I, hadn't, I wasn't that excited about the project. It wasn't easy. Nazareth knows everything about everybody. Going to Bethlehem? I was not interested in going to Bethlehem. Paying more taxes? I wasn't interested. Mary going into labor? Horrors. And all of these things, you know, I worry about all these things. All of these kinds of things bother me. And yet God has successfully brought us through every single one of these things. I think that I've discovered the fact that God wants to bring into our lives impossible things. You know why? Because that is the only way that he will show his creative genius in resolving those. It's in the impossible things. When you see God doing something, you realize nobody else can do it. So here we are. We're heading to Egypt. I've got 50 days of work in Nazareth, piled up in my shop, and I'm on my way to Egypt. God's leading us. We're going to see the pyramids. Don't you wish you were going? We'll send you pictures on Facebook <clears throat> with our cell phones. So, two things you need to remember at Christmas time God has successfully, successfully met every one of our needs, and we should loudly rejoice. Number two, God has successfully brought us through impossible difficulties. And will continue to do so. Amen? Amen. Let me pray with you and then we got to get on the road. Father, we live in this, in this tension between your promises and the chaos that we see in our lives. And we have trouble... Resolving that in our minds and hearts. Even though we have seen how you do marvelous things in the lives of other people. I pray that you would give us this Christmas, which may be our last Christmas, the ability by your grace to fully enjoy it by being fully content with you, with all you've done, with where you are leading us. I ask this in the name of our Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.